You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Grateful to be able to sing songs like that that give you hope at church. Amen. And this should be a place we come for hope. And before it's all dashed by the preacher, turn to Genesis chapter 10. We're going to be preaching on genealogies today. So you needed some form of happiness this morning. Genesis chapter 10, uh, one of the most difficulty, or one of the, the difficulties in expository preaching is you don't really get to pick and choose the texts you preach from. And so when you choose a, a book to preach through, you're preaching the really good fun passages, but you're also preaching the not-so-fun passages to preach from. And so I tell you that today because this may seem at first like one of those. When I first read Genesis 10, and let's go ahead and stand in in preparation um, as we read it. When I first read the passage, I thought I might just skip it. But I said a few weeks ago, I kind of painted myself in a corner. Because a few weeks ago I said, there are no flyover texts in in the Bible. And uh, I said, it's, it's not like the flyover states in the middle of the country. They call them flyover, and that's fine with us. Just don't stop here. We'll, we're, we're happy with where we are. But after digging and praying about it, I, I think there are some things that are be helpful for us. And, and believe it or not, I'm trying today to take Genesis 10 and make it a practical message. So we'll see how it works. But uh, I'm going to ask you to engage. You do your best in listening. I'll do my best in communicating and And we'll read certain parts of this as we get into it. Let's look at Genesis 10. It says in verse 1, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I got a little bit of a ring up here, Brother Mike. Uh, Some feedback here. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. So you got Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These are the sons of Noah. We looked at them exclusively last week. And with Noah's failure, their response to the failure determined God's blessings in their lives. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they were the ones repopulating the earth. And it says in verse 2, the sons of Japheth, and then he lists sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tyrus, the sons of Gomer and Ashkenaz, Riphath and Togarmah, the sons of Javan, Elisha and Tarshish, Kittim and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. So the way that this passage is split up is you've got the first five verses are about Japheth, one son who became the Gentiles. And you've got verses 6 through 20 are about Ham, um, that, the one that was cursed, him and Canaan, last week. And then the last part of the passage is Shem, uh, which became the, the Hebrew. So let's look at verse 6. These are Ham's descendants. The sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim and Phut and Canaan. Look down in verse 8. And Cush, be, Cush began Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. And this is significant. We'll talk about Nimrod more, but Nimrod is a significant personality. He's really the only one that's singled out in this passage and talked about in detail. It says in verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. It was a proverb about him. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kala. And reason between Nineveh and Kala, the same is a great city. 
So those are the cities of Nimrod. He didn't just stop at a city. He wanted many more and he, and he advanced his kingdom. Verse 15. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. Now start to see if you notice some, or recognize some of these names. And the Jebusite, you recognize that name from the Old Testament? And the Amorite, you sure, certainly should recognize that one. The Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. And afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. We've heard about Canaanites. And the border of the, of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, you recognize those names, and Adma and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Remember, last week, Ham's response to Noah's failure caused a curse to come to his family through Canaan. And you read the names of, of Ham's descendants, and there's not many positive names there. So does God's word, is it true? Absolutely. Do his promises come true? When Noah pronounced the curse or the prophecy, you might say on Ham and his descendants, you see it played out in people like Nimrod and Sodom and Gomorrah and the Amorites and those kind of people. God's word is always true. What he pronounces always comes true. You see it played out right here. And now we get into Shem. Look at verse 21. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children, of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. And that word Eber is where, from which many, the name from which many believe came the word Hebrew, which would be the father of the Jews. Look down in verse 30. And their dwelling was from Mesha, as thou goest unto Sephar, a mount of the east. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. If you read chapter 10 and you read the last half of chapter 11, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, you will see the names, uh, these names connect Noah to Abram, which became Abraham, which was the father of the Jews. So this is very important for the Jews. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, this list is called the Table of Nations. The Table of Nations. And it was important for the Jews as they left Egypt and came into the Promised Land. It was important for them to see in writing who was for God and who was not for God. They needed to know the kind of people they could align themselves with when they came into the land of Canaan. And I'm going to give you the main idea early today. I normally wait, but here it is. If you want to live a life blessed by God... You must surround yourself with people that live for God. Come on now. If you want to live a life blessed by God, you must surround yourself with people that live for God. That's the purpose of Genesis 10 and the lives of the nation of Israel. Let's pray. We'll get into the message. Father, I thank you for this truth this morning. I pray that you'd help me to convey it. I pray that you'd help me to make it practical. I pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. One of the things we've talked about in this series so far in the book of Genesis is how Genesis is broken up into sections that describe different generations. Anytime you see the word, this is the generation, the phrase, this is the generation of, then you need to take note of that when you read. The Hebrew word for generation is toledoth, and, it, and, it's a genes, and in Genesis, the book is organized by that word, generation. 
This is the generation of so-and-so. This is the generation of so-and-so. Anytime you read that, you need to kind of reset and realize that we've just gotten done talking about one person, and now we're going to be talking about another person. Almost like saying, we've been talking about this patriarch, now we're talking about this one. The first few chapters of Genesis are the generations, it says in Genesis 2, of the heavens and the earth. So there wasn't a person that started it, except for God, who created the heavens and the earth, by the way. God created the heavens and the earth. That first generation was just of the heavens and the earth, before people populated it. Then you've got Adam, and you've got the generations of Adam. And that, that, that goes until Genesis 6, when there's the generations then of Noah. Then from Genesis 6 until here in Genesis 10, you've got, now we've got the, the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You go to the next chapter and you see specifically the generations of Shem. And then you've got the generations of Terah, which is Abraham's father. And one way to think about the word generations is, or generation is to think of it as saying, this is what became of. This is what became of the sons of, no- of Adam. This is what became of Noah. This is what became of the sons of Noah. This is what beca- became of Shem. And this is what became of Terah and Isaac and Jacob and so on and so on. So right now, the thought is, this is what became of Shem and Ham and Japheth. This is what became of their seed. And, and listen, it's not just a list. Like I mentioned, it's not just a list that, that was written to take up space. And what, mo, what became of Noah's sons was of great interest to the children of Israel. Remember, they had spent about 400 plus years in the nation of Egypt as slaves. And they were coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land. And as they're going into the promised land, you have to think they're passing by some tribes. They're passing by cities. They're passing by groups of people. And as they come into the promised land, they needed to know who was on their side and who wasn't on their side. So this list is really um, their ancestry in writing. It was helpful for them. It's kind of like, in some ways, getting on Ancestry.com and reading about your family tree. And I don't know if you've ever done it. How many of you have ever done that? And you've kind of gone back and looked at your family tree? All right, like most, most of us aren't interested in that, I think, because, I mean, knowing me, I, my, my, I, my claim to fame would be my famous ancestors like John Wilkes Booth or somebody. So I, I just don't really want to know. I don't, I don't really want to dig up those family secrets, the skeletons in my closet. I'm not sure. But that was part of Noah's purpose uh, in, 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 or Moses' purpose in these genealogies is that um, he wanted them, wherever he copied these from or however the Holy Spirit gave them to him, he wanted the children of Israel to know they were God's people and that they could trace their heritage back to God in writing. I mean, think about it. They, they've claimed to be God's people for all these 400 plus years and they have oral tradition given to them saying, yeah, this was this person, this, this person, and then this person, and, and it led to us, but we can trace our roots all the way back to God himself. They're coming out of Egypt. They're claiming the promised land. And, 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 and they weren't just wanting to know where they came from. They were wanting to know who was on their side and who wasn't. Knowing the background of the tribes mattered. It was important. Many commentators call this the list of the table of nations. And it's the only document of its kind. And it's well known for its, its accuracy. And of course, it's in God's word. So we believe it. It's never been proven wrong. It, it's accurate. Commentator Alan Ross said this about the table of nations. He said it may, and so pay attention, I don't normally read passages from commentators, but it, he says it may be concluded that the table of nations 
offers a realistic picture of developing nations portraying their movements and developments at the dawn of world history. The writer may very well be tracing tribal relationships back to ancestral connections in the remote past. And because of this understanding, the writer of the table maps the various families of the earth to show their common origins. Okay, they all come from the same place, started with Noah, then Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and from there it spread. Moreover, because Genesis is concerned with tracing the blessings of God on his people, one is not surprised to find at the turning point of the book a table emphasizing ancestral connection to the three who were blessed. Now, and you say, okay, that's great. It sounds like nerd speech to me. I get it. But what Alan Ross says is significant because we might come to Genesis 10 and we might think, well, this is a flyover passage. I can just go through this real quick and move on. But that's not the way the children of Israel would have viewed Genesis 10. As Alan Ross said, he said this was a turning point in the book. When they came to Genesis 10, this was absolutely important for the children of Israel coming out of Egypt to know who's on their side and who's not. Otherwise, they would have no way to know, well, is this tribe with us or for us? Is is this tribe blessed or are they not? The table of nations is here to remind the children of Israel who's blessed. Just last week, we saw that Japheth and, and Shem were blessed, but Ham was not. Ham was cursed for his response to Noah's sin. Israel needed to know that. They needed to be careful about aligning themselves with anybody that wasn't blessed by God. Scholars generally conclude that there are two major types of genealogies. And again, we're getting more into the academics here, but we'll come back to practical here in a little bit. Those that, that tra- there, there are genealogies that trace uh, lineage, um, and then there are some genealogies that chart alliances. So again, there are some genealogies that trace lineages. They're simply there to show us who, came, who was born to who and trace back to a line. Then there are, uh, there, those are called linear genealogies. And then there's another one called segmented genealogies. Segmented genealogies aren't just one person having another, then that person had another. No, segmented genealogies, they spread out, they branch out. Okay, so this one here is obviously a segmented genealogy. We could go back to Genesis 5, and we're not going to do that. We preached through, through that already, and we could see a linear genealogy. You've got Adam had Seth, uh, Seth had Enos, Enos had Canaan, Canaan had Mahalaleel, and Mahalaleel had Jared, and then Jared had Enoch, and Enoch had Methuselah, Methuselah had Lamech, and Lamech had Noah. Okay, so that's a linear genealogy. It's one after another. Now, do you believe that if, for instance, if uh, Methuselah lived 960-something years, do you believe the only offspring that Methuselah had was Lamech? Do you think he only had one son? No. He had many sons. But in 900-something years, that segmented genealogy list would have been very long. It's simply tracing a, a line back through a line back to an ancestor, just showing there's a connection here. You don't, I mean, it's very simple, a linear genealogy. Genesis 11 comes next, and it's a linear genealogy, and we won't get into all that. It's just simply meant to link a name with an ancestor. In this case, for the Jews, that was important, because they could link where they were from all the way back to God himself. They could look back and say, God, we are God's people. Here's how we can prove it. For 400 years, all we've done is hear about our link to God. But now we have in writing through these genealogies, 
we have evidence that, that takes us all the way back to God. It, ma- it would have mattered to them. But Genesis 10 isn't linear. It's segmented. According to commentator R.R. R. Wilson, he said in his book, Old Testament Genealogies, he writes, the function of the segmented type is more varied. It may be for domestic purposes, mirroring the changes in society, for political or legal purposes, showing tribal alliances, or for religious purposes. So listen, if a, gene, if a linear genealogy is one strand, one vine with no offshoots, a segmented genealogy is a tree. A full tree with all kinds of branches, branching out in different directions. There's branches on those branches. It's a totally different purpose than a linear genealogy. Segmented, this Genesis 10 emphasizes affiliations. It emphasizes tribal connections. It reflects social and political relationships. It's a picture of religious loyalty. And that mattered because the nation of Israel, as they were going to reclaim the promised land, they needed to know... Who's on God's side and who's not on God's side? If a linear genealogy gives the facts, a segmented genealogy tells a story. It tells us where people came from and it tells us where people are going. It's kind of like when I was a kid, my, my dad, he loved World War II movies. He called them, we want to watch a, world, a war picture. That's what he used to say. So I'd say, sure. I mean, I'd rather not, but you know, he likes it. I'll sit down. And I, I remember frustrating my dad because we would, we'd be watching this World War II movie and there's all kinds of guns and all kinds of planes and, and there's soldiers and they're running and they're yelling and some are dying. And, and, and I would ask, I don't know how many times, I was like, oh, are those the bad guys? <laughs> Somebody would come in, is that a bad guy? You know what I mean? Like you don't, it's hard to tell when you're a kid who the bad guy is. But can't you imagine the children of Israel coming out of Egypt going into the promised land, saying, okay, is that a bad guy? I mean, who's this? Who are these people over here? Can we trust them? Coming into a new land, they needed to know who could be trusted. And because these, it's like the genealogy is saying, these people aren't blessed by God and they shouldn't be trusted. Don't make alliances with people that aren't living for God. Amen. Because of Ham's sin toward his father, Noah pronounced this prophecy that Ham's family, specifically through Canaan, would be a a people that as a whole were wicked before God. And his word came true. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Canaanites and Nimrod, Ham's lack of character and his lack of godliness was a general describer of the character of the Canaanites and his descendants. And this segmented genealogy, as much as we want to maybe skip over it, it was helping the children of Israel to determine who was for them and who wasn't. Going into a new land with new people, if they could trace a tribe's lineage back to Canaan, then you can say, okay, watch out for that one. Those are the kind of people that we should not make alliances with. They're not headed the right direction. And here's the message to Israel, and we'll start to bring it into application in this passage, is you are God's people. Surround yourself with influences that will move you toward God, not away from God. If you want to continue to be blessed by God, surround yourself with people that live for God. It's something we all face. You know, we, we must all be discerning enough to make sure those that are with God are the ones we, that influence us the most. And if we don't use discernment in our alliances, it will destroy us. Because we see later in Israel's history, it destroyed Israel. 
They had all these warnings and all of this help, and yet they still aligned themselves with the wrong kinds of people. And it's like a message I've preached to teens before, Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And every person or tribe listed in Genesis 10 was either going to help Israel move toward God, or they were going to hurt Israel and move them away from God. They're either blessed by God or they're not. They're either marked by obedience or they're marked by disobedience. Some are working for God and some are working against God. Some will help your spiritual life, folks. Somebody out there, your friends, your influences, they will either help your spiritual life or they will hurt your spiritual life. And our ultimate choice is to, to, if we're going to follow God, it will largely be determined by who we surround ourselves with. So very simply today, I I want to point out the three types of people represented by Noah's sons and how those three types of people are people we should be on the lookout for, but it could help us to discern who we are aligned with. The first that's mentioned here is Japheth, there in verse 2. We'll call these Japheth. We'll call this the person that's moving away from God. So again, you know, look at verse 2. The, the sons of Japheth, and he lists their sons. Look down at verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. So the sons of Japheth, they became the Gentiles, the non-Hebrews, and they settled to the north, they settled to the west, they went into Europe, they were the founders of the Greek and the Scythian tribes. Uh, the, the, tri- the sons of Japheth, basically the sons of Japheth didn't stick around. And once, once they were scattered after the Tower of Babel, they went off and they did their own thing. They became scattered. They became divided even among themselves. They spoke different languages. They formed different cultures. And this is indicative of the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles and the Jews really couldn't have been further apart. The Jews were in one place. The Gentiles were in another place. The Gentiles had little to do with God. They left the area. In many ways, they walked away from God. And I I think it's a good picture of what many people are still doing. God wants to bless them and God wants to enlarge them like he told Japheth, but they have disconnected from God. And there are many that have no thought or concern of God at all. Like the fool that says in his heart, there is no God in Psalm 14. They operate as if there's no God because they don't want to answer to God. Maybe they hope there's no God so they won't have to be judged someday. Or maybe, and you know people like this, and there are are families like this that have family members like this. They were raised to know better. They were raised to follow God. But they have no interest in it anymore, and they've completely disconnected from God. If you're moving away from God, you are also moving away from God's blessings in your life. And I want that to be clear today. Because many people believe that by disconnecting from God, they can finally have some freedom. By disconnecting from God, they can finally do their own thing. They can finally go live the life they've always wanted to live, like the prodigal son who disconnected from his father and took his inheritance and went and spent it on riotous living. They think this is where the answer is. This is where I'm going to find my satisfaction. This is where I'll finally be happy. And they move about, they move away from God. And the sad part about all of this is that God initially said he wanted to prosper Japheth. He wanted to be in charge of Japheth's blessings. He wanted to make sure that Japheth was blessed in the tents of Shem. Shem, and yet they moved away. 
See, here's the truth. God wants to bless you. I'm going to say that again. God wants to bless you. He wants you to have all the spiritual blessings that you can hold. And I'm not talking, this is not a Joel Osteen thing. I'm not saying he wants you to be rich. and He wants you to be wealthy. I don't have the hair for that, so... Here's the truth. He wants you to be spiritually prosperous. Amen. See, like Japheth, God wants to spiritually prosper you and he, he wants you to make you spiritually full. He wants you to make you full of joy and full of peace. He wants to supply your every need. Amen. He wants to give you every good and perfect gift. He wants you to live a life of spiritual abundance, overflowing. And if you're missing those things, it's because you've moved away, not because God's not faithful. Like the old couple driving in their truck and when they were first married, you've probably heard this, they sat right next to each other and after years and years of marriage, the husband's still driving and the wife now is on the other side and she's bemoaning the fact that they, she says, honey, why don't we just sit together close to each other anymore? And the husband said, I'm not the one that moved. (laughs) And you know, but it's true, there are many people, maybe even in this room, right now and you're bemoaning the distance between you and God and you're bemoaning the fact that you're not close to God like you used to be and you're you're just upset that it's not the way it used to be but I can tell you this God changes not he's never moved the only one that's moved away is us in our hearts from God we are the guilty ones of moving and maybe that defines you today and you think you could find blessings away from God but you never will James wrote, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. You can be close to God again with a humble and contrite spirit, as we heard about in Sunday school in this room here today. Are you moving away from God like Japheth? You're not just walking away from God, you're walking away from the the spiritual blessings that he wants to bestow upon your life. But the application is not just about who's moving away, although that's certainly an application. It's also about making sure we don't align ourselves with people that move away from God. We've got to be careful about that principle in Proverbs 13. I already stated it. Uh, a wise man, uh, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And maybe you've got some friends that aren't on the same page spiritually, or even in your own family, you're trying to decide how tight that bond has to be because they're not helping you move toward God in your spiritual life. And I, and I, I am sorry for those in that situation because I don't have to deal with that in my life. I mean, everyone in my wife and, my, and our family is in going the same direction, and I'm grateful for it, but it makes me proud. Pray for those that have family members that aren't helping you spiritually. You have to decide which lines to draw sometimes, and that's not easy. And I pray that God gives you discernment, uh, but sometimes you have to make a decision about those that aren't helping you move toward God. Maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe it's some influence in your life. Maybe it's what you're listening to. It's maybe what's your favorite music, and it's your favorite, your favorite streaming service. It's your favorite podcast, and And God forbid it's some internet preacher, I mean, besides me, because I'm on the internet right now. That was was kind of a foolish thing to say. So I'm I'm, I'm first not an internet preacher, okay? I'll just say that. Boy, that got me in trouble. But I want to encourage you to be careful about who you're allowing to influence you through your earbuds and your eyeballs on the screen. Because some, some people think, well, they're going to attach themselves to something. 
like that and it's not helping their relationship with God. And I've known people that, that in their own life they, they pull away from a local church family and kind of their heart goes online. And I understand if there's not a good church where you are, but make sure that there's not before you decide to go that direction. Any influence that's not helping you get closer to God is taking you away from God. All right, so what's your trend? Are you moving away from God in your spiritual life? Are you surrounded with people that are moving away from God in their spiritual lives? Are you further now than you were a year ago? Is there something in your life that's moving you in the wrong direction? By refusing to change your alliances, you are choosing to bypass the blessings of God. The second son listed here is Ham, and this, we could preach about this for a long time. His line becomes the Canaanites, and the others we know now. So listen, if the first person, Japheth, if his person, that type of person is moving away from God, then from Ham's descendants, this person is, is going against God. You've got some that are moving away from God and they're just going the wrong direction, but you've got some that are actual enemies of God. And this was obviously the cursed line working against God's people. These actively tried to damage or injure the Jews. They were the enemies of God. The descendants of Ham settled in Egypt and they settled in North Africa and they settled in the Arabian Peninsula. They settled near the Jews. And listen, even though they shared DNA, they shared many of the same lands, and even though they came from the same places, there was no love lost between the descendants of Shem and the descendants of Ham. And there's still no love lost between those descendants. If Japheth's descendants were going away from God, Ham's descendants were working against God. The best example of this is found in, in the one person singled out in this passage whose name is Nimrod. His account's a microcosm of the direction of Ham. Nimrod was Ham's grandson. And the Bible describes him in interesting. Look at verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it said, Ak a proverb, it even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And those terms, mighty, mighty hunter, they mean that Nimrod was famous. Or maybe we might say infamous. He, he obviously was somewhat of a national hero and well-known. But the more you study, the more you realize that Nimrod was likely... It was a reflection of the family he came from as Ham's descendant. His name literally means rebel. That phrase, before the Lord, it doesn't just mean God saw it. It meant that Nimrod was bold. And he did everything he did with no thought of who was watching before God and everybody. Kind of the idea. He was defiant, and he did it before the Lord. God saw it, but Nimrod didn't care who saw it. He didn't keep anything hidden. Some also believe the phrase mighty hunter means he was the first to seek to conquer other people. He wasn't just hunting deer. In reality, if you go and you see that he established cities in the beginning of his kingdom, verse 10, was Babel, and then out of that land went forth, he, he is, and then turns into Nineveh, he is not just looking to accomplish um, hunting on a small scale. He's out hunting, if you will, people. He's conquering lands. He's gaining power. He's living his life like he's the one in charge. He's also was changing the trend of the patriarchal family structure. If you think about it, the family structure here to Genesis to this point was this father had these children. That's the family structure. Well, here's now Nimrod. He's stepping outside that and now he's coming to conquer your family. 
He's conquering a city. He's established a city. And he's moving forward. He's gaining power. And, and this strong national leader comes along and says, I'm in charge. You submit to me or I'll conquer you too. And doesn't that sound like a similar mindset in the world we're living in today? Looking for power, looking to conquer, learned, looking to gain control over as many people as they can. As a matter of fact, Nimrod's connected to the land of Shinar here. We read that, and we're not going to look at it today, but if you go to the next chapter, the story of the Tower of Babel, guess where that took place? Shinar. So Nimrod is likely the one who led the rebellion of defiance against God himself in Genesis chapter 11, and if not him, his mindset at least influenced, and God scattered the nations because of that rebellion. It's fitting that Nimrod came from Ham's line. Where else would he have come from than from the man who was unrighteous and the man who was sinful and Canaan was cursed and his son Nimrod fell right in line with his dad and his grandpa in working not just going away from God but working against God. And it's one thing to be moving away from God but going against God takes defiance to a whole new level. And truth be told, our world is full of Nimrods. And take that however you want it. Re- you know what it means? Rebels. Rebels against God. Now, if you don't start calling each other Nimrod after church. My father-in-law pastors in California. Guess what? He got a call this week from the law enforcement saying somebody had reported them for meeting as a church. So some Nimrod on the phone. Now that's the world we live in. I know it's silly, but it's true. They're rebels. And they're working against God and whoever called him and he was gracious on the phone as much as he could be. But, but whoever called and reported it, you know, I'm thinking they're working against God. They're not just going away from God. They're actively against God. And we've never seen in our country a time where more people are working against God. There are those who hate God and they hate God's people, but there may be some in here are actively opposed to God. You're angry with him. You hate somebody that represents him because of something in your life. But remember this, no one that goes against God has ever come out a winner. Satan rebelled in heaven and he was no threat to God. And yet Satan's more powerful than we can even think about. And God made short work of him. His end is destruction. A rebel's end is always destruction. Psalm 37, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Don't think that you can be opposed to God and think that God will just let it go. It's true for your life and it's true for those who we allow to influence us. Don't align yourself with people that are opposed to God. Stay away from the Nimrods. That should have been my title. Stay away from the Nimrods. It's true in our friendships. There are some people against God and they're actively working against God and sometimes you might have to make a decision to say if they're not for God, they're not helping me with God and I'm going to have to make a decision to cut off a relationship. But just also in your influences. Listen, if your influences are primarily being fed by people that are against God... I mean, I, I'm, I just think about secular music these days 
and you listen to the lyrics and you watch the videos of the music today, they are against God. And yet, how many Christians have music from those secular artists on their playlists? I mean, I know that's, I mean, that sounds like a teenager type of application, but I think it's affecting, it's affecting grown-ups too. And if we're being fed constantly by the entertainment Hollywood puts out, they are against God. And we've got to be careful. It's not just a relationship. It's also the influences in our life. We, listen, we're in the world, I know, but we're not to be of it. Amen. We should be seeking to be influencers, not be influenced. Opposition to God never ends well. So why would we allow ourselves to be influenced by those who are opposed to God and openly defiant, living lifestyles that God is not pleased with? If we want to live lives that are blessed by God, we must surround ourselves with people that live for God. Those moving away from God will not help us. Those opposed to God won't either. And then you have a third type of person. You've got Shem. From his line would come Abraham and eventually Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And that's not to say that every descendant of Shem uh, followed God because they didn't. We have a whole Old Testament full of Jews that did not follow God. I mean, many did, and I'm thankful, but they didn't all. But as a whole, as a general rule, they were blessed by God and God wanted to bless them and they represent those who follow the Lord. So if Japheth represents somebody going away from God and, and, and uh, Ham represents somebody going against God, then Shem is the one moving toward God. He's blessed and he's obedient. He's genuinely trying. And there are people in our lives Listen, and I want you to get this application. There are people in our lives that may not be perfect, but they're trying to do things the right way. Their intentions are right, and they have a heart for God, and they might be active in church, and they desire spiritual things. And if you're looking to be blessed by God, align yourself with the Shem. Align yourself with somebody that's moving toward God. Align yourself with somebody that you know, they may not be perfect, nobody's perfect, but they want to do right. So separate yourself from those going away from God and those opposed to God and get in line with somebody, even if they're not perfect, but they're trending toward God. We've got plenty of people here this morning that are attending and they they have been and I'm grateful for it and I want to encourage you to, to get committed. Get, jump into a local church and say, listen, we've been coming and it's time for us to commit to a church and, and say, this is our church family and, and we're going to commit by, by, even by joining and say, well, I'm not sure why that's necessary. Anything that you, is important to you, you commit to it. And I'm thankful, you know, Patrick and Marlena here, over here on the, they've got this glow about them. They just got married on Friday. And you know, I, and that matters because they, in, a, in an age and culture that says, you know, we're not going to commit to something. No, they're saying no marriage matters enough that we're going to commit to it. And I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. You've been smiling all morning, Patrick. Why do you look so happy? You look young too, by the way, without the beard. So I'm thankful that people are willing to commit to things that matter. And listen, God loved this church, not just Eastside. He loved his church, churches enough to die for them. So let's get in. Let's say, if God loves the church enough to die for it, I'm going to be committed. I'm not going to be on the outskirts or casual. I want to contribute. I want to be in a place that God loves. And, and listen, God has given you special abilities. He's given you uh, your own gifts that he wants to use in a local church. 
We place you here for a reason. We've got some, and they've been members a long time, but it's time to get back in. To plug yourself in and say, whatever I can do, I want to do it. I want to commit to it. I want to be a faithful contributor. I want to be here and be involved. There's no such thing as a perfect church. But if you're trying to find somebody trending toward God, I think a church is probably a good place to find people like that. Surround yourself with people that live like Christ. Surround yourself with people that challenge you to be more like Christ. And if you work a job in a secular environment, you've got all week of people trying to pull you away from God or moving against God, and you need this. I mean, in more than an hour a week. I mean, be here Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because I'm trying to counterbalance the influence out there that's taking me away from God and opposed to God. I need more of people that are working toward God and moving in that direction. Why would we in a society that's away from God and opposed to God think we need less of God? It's like in Hebrews, no, it's not, not that, it's not, we need to forsake, not forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. It says it's so much the more as you see the day approaching. The reason this matters, folks, is that every person, every person is a type of person. That's going somewhere. You represent somebody in your life. You either represent Japheth who's going away from God. Or you represent Ham who's working against God. Or you represent Shem. Who's going toward God. You're trending somewhere. Your spiritual life is going some direction. And the people you surround yourself are also trending in some direction. And I want to ask you then based on the trends. Are you moving away from? Are you working against? Are you moving toward God this morning? I know plenty of Japhets and they're heading away from God and they say, oh, I'll come back, just not right now. But, but Japheth ended up in Europe and across the ocean. Listen, the longer you stay and the further you get from God, the harder it will be to get back to where you need to be. It's time to get back today. Amen. There are plenty of, of Ham descendants out there working against God and they're angry and bitter and pride themselves in being God's enemy and it's a dangerous place to be. It always ends in destruction. It's time to humble yourself and say, God, I'm tired of working against you. You've been resisting me as a proud person. I need your grace in my life. I come and humble myself this morning. Only one of the three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, only one of the three end up being blessed and that's the person moving toward God. So I want to encourage you to take a step today. Just take one step that puts you closer to God. Take a step that puts you closer, not just to God, but to the people who will help you to be closer to God. See, the truth is, we all come from the same place. We have shared origins like they did. But it also means we have shared flaws. We're all sinners, every one of us. We all start away from God. And our sin, if not dealt with, will keep us permanently, eternally away, separated from God. God's blessing will come to those who admit their sin, confess it before God, and receive Christ as their Savior to give them eternal life. Because even though we all come from the same place, let me just remind you of this. Someday we're all going to end up in the same place. And by that, I mean someday we will all end up standing before God in judgment. And God will either look at you and he'll say, okay, 
as a, as a follower, you were a shem. You lived your life, not perfectly, but in general, you were moving toward God. And you accepted Christ as your savior, and I'll let you, you can enter into rest. But the two other types of people that will stand before Christ in judgment so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. There are some that live their lives moving away from God. Maybe even you receive Christ as your Savior savior at one point, but you live your life in general moving away from God. You will stand before God and you'll be allowed into heaven. But the Bible says so as by fire. Meaning you live your life away from God. He didn't bear any fruit to bring back to him. And yes, you may end up with God for eternity, but you will have nothing to show for it, no riches or rewards to return back to him. But then there's another group who live their lives opposed to God. They're against God and they, the whole life, their whole life, they resisted his every urge, his every calling to call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And maybe you're hoping, well, I'll just skip the judgment part. Nobody gets to skip it. Every one of us. So give account of himself to God and you'll stand before God. If you've lived your life um, as, a, as a descendant of Ham, somebody training away from God, opposed to God, you'll stand there and God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You won't be entering into rest, you'll enter into a lake of fire for eternity. Listen, I want to give you three applications and then we're done. Don't use where you came from as an excuse for where you're going. See, you get to make the choice. You say, well, if you knew my family background, if you knew where I came from, if you knew my parents, if you knew what I had to overcome, I understand that. But God still gives you the choice. Don't use where you've come from as an excuse to to go where you're going. You don't have to go the direction of the origins you came from. You don't have to. God gives you a free choice, and he says, you have a choice. You can either go away from me, you can be opposed to me, or you can come toward me. It's your choice this morning. Second, surround yourself with people and influences that are trending the right direction. It's time for some, even maybe in this room, to cut off some of the influences that are not helping your walk with God and say, I've got to separate some from those, and I need to get in with a group of people that aren't perfect, but they're trending in the right direction. Third, Take one step today that moves you toward God. Just one step. Some people think they have to just change everything about their lives. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to take one step in your life that changes your direction. One step that moves you, that takes you from going away from God and points you back to God. One step that takes you going opposed to God and points you to God. Maybe it means surrendering something in your life. Maybe it's confessing a sin. Maybe it's taking a step of commitment to a church family in your involvement or in your attendance and say, I'm not, I, I'm not changing everything today. That's a big task, but I can change one thing. And with God's help, I'm going to take one step in the right direction. You going away from, are you opposed to, or are you going toward? You're trending one direction today or another. And it's time to change the trend. Take one step in the right direction. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.